Hello, everyone, and welcome to EU Asia Talks, a podcast about Europe-Asia relations in this rapidly transforming world. I'm Shada Islam, an independent analyst and EU commentator based in Brussels, and it is my pleasure to host these podcasts. Today, we're talking about the relationship between the European Union and the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, ASEAN. You may be wondering why relations between the European Union and ASEAN have figured so high in our podcast. So we're going to discuss this issue with His Excellency Igor Drisman, who is the EU ambassador to ASEAN and also the EU envoy for Myanmar. Hello, Ambassador. Good afternoon to you, Shada. Happy to be here. Thank you for joining us. So it's really not a surprise that the EU and ASEAN are stepping up their engagement. They're both important geopolitical actors globally and regionally, and both have been talking to each other for a long time. You know, headlines across the world are often dominated by competition and rivalry between the so-called great powers, the United States and China for this moment. And while that rivalry is very real, there's also another geopolitical reality, that of constant interaction between middle and small-sized countries and between regional organizations. ASEAN and the EU, for instance, have been working with each other, agreeing and disagreeing with each other for a remarkable 45 years. ASEAN and EU leaders will celebrate those 45 years of partnership at a summit in Brussels on December 14th. So, Ambassador, let me start by asking you about how this relationship has evolved over the years. You know, when I started writing on EU-ASEAN ties more than 30 years ago, the relationship was still in its infancy. Relations between Europe and ASEAN were largely about development aid and trade. But today, we know things are different. There's cooperation in the field of security, on climate change, on health, for instance, So what will the December summit be all about, Ambassador? Well, we have quite a menu for uh, discussions, but let me start by saying that we will have a quite extraordinary format for this summit. We'll gather uh, 27 heads of state and government from the European Union and all of the ASEAN heads of state and government, plus obviously the Secretary General and our two presidents from the European Commission and the European Council. So who would have thought that 30 years ago that we would have such a summit where in the middle of a difficult moment in Europe, I think uh, heads of state and government of uh, the EU make that time for an almost full day summit with uh, with ASEAN. So I think the symbolism of it is is obviously quite important. But when it comes to uh, substance, there's a few things that stand out. The first one is our green partnership, our green agenda, which we want to push. We've done an awful lot on green cooperation in the last couple of years, but we really need to scale that up. We have to go through a different type of ambition, a different dimension almost. So we will be having a conversation on how to combat deforestation. We will be talking about our clean energy dialogue, which we will launch at the time of the summit. We might also have a discussion on energy security, because ASEAN and ASEAN countries can also be an energy provider. But we will also be talking about circular economy, some of the discussions that we've been having in our dialogue and in our relationship for quite a long time. So I think that's our first ambition, really step up that green partnership The second one is something rather familiar to those who follow uh, EU-ASEAN relations for a long time, but it's about connectivity. 
And it's been a, a recurrent team probably since uh, you uh, started dealing with it, uh, Shada. Uh, we talk about trade facilitation, so connectivity with ASEAN, but also uh, with uh, the European Union. We will celebrate this very big agreement, which we've just signed, the Comprehensive Air Transport Agreement. But we will also have a look at what we can do together to promote railway management. There is a lot of expertise there that we've started to share, but also road transport. And not just about hard infrastructure, but for example, think about the issue of road safety. Everybody who lives not just in Brussels, but also here in Jakarta knows that can be quite an issue. We will back that up with a Team Europe initiative on connectivity which is it's a very uh, wide interpretation uh, of topics. So these are, these are just two issues on the regional dimension. Of course, we will also be looking at how we can reinforce our bilateral relations with individual ASEAN countries that will be part and parcel of the summit, be it to by concluding new uh, agreements, so-called PCAs, political and cooperation agreements with a number of ASEAN countries, or indeed by relaunching some of the free trades agreement negotiations with different ASEAN countries. So quite a, quite a comprehensive agenda indeed. So Igor, if I may call you that, you've been in Jakarta as the ambassador to the ASEAN Secretariat. Um, and, you know, you've been on your watch. We've seen the decision taken in December 2020 to actually make this EU-ASEAN relationship into a strategic partnership. Now, that's important because it means that the two sides really acknowledge each other's global strategic geopolitical importance. So it goes beyond trade development, economics and all that. It's really comprehensive, right? What are you more most excited about that you've done in the last three years? Is that the thing that stands out or are there other issues that you've worked on that have really sort of ignited your fire and your passion? Well, we might speak about it later, but uh, for sure, um, uh, the, the kind of dialogue and cooperation and engagement that we get from our young people is, has been, for me, a very important aspect of our partnership and something uh, which I think brings something new to that relationship. But of course, the agreement that we've concluded, the Qatar, that's been a long time coming, and I've been trying to add my little addition to, to making sure that we actually get that over the finish line. So there's been a lot. We've launched uh, several new cooperation programs. I dare to say that our partnership is in a better shape than it was a couple of years ago. Yes, it does seem like that. I mean, at least the scale of the topics you talk about, the depth that you go into, and despite the pandemic, I have to say, watching this from uh, Brussels, uh, because we haven't been able to travel, of course, to the region, we have seen that engagement has continued on uh, virtual links and virtual meetings, especially, I think, on the issue of health. And I think I know that you've been quite active on the health partnership issue as well. And you didn't mention it as one of the issues on the on the summit agenda, but will it be there? And what else makes you, let's say, your heart race faster when you think about the summit? Well, on the health side, uh, for sure, I think, as you know, we always have an issue of communication, uh, Shada, but I think what we've done when it comes to vaccines delivery through COVAX, but also bilaterally, I think it's worth acknowledging. We don't always trumpet it the way we should, uh, but I think it's commendable. We've also, on, on the back of the pandemic, started together with the World Health Organization, we've started a new, I think, exciting health uh, program. 
And lastly, we've also started so-called expert dialogues on vaccines. We've had a number of those sessions whereby we get the best and brightest in Europe to talk to health officials in ASEAN to speak about all things vaccines, which is not just about the injection, but all that comes with it, the supply chains and all of the medical aspects uh, to it. So yes, I'm, I'm very happy that we, we kind of kickstart that health cooperation because that's not something that comes necessarily natural to the EU because to, to in large part it's national competence. But when I think about the summit, obviously it will be in, in December in what might be a rather difficult moment in Europe. So I think we need to have an honest conversation with our friends in ASEAN about the current geopolitical environment and about how we can cooperate and, and try to understand each other. Because clearly for us in Europe, what's happening in Ukraine with the Russian aggression there is an almost existential issue. I have the feeling sometimes in ASEAN it's not quite appreciated in the same way. So I think we need to look each other in the eye and say, so uh, how do we read what's happening? Um, and uh, do we both have uh, the same wish to, to tackle some of these issues, be it on a, at the UN level, be it at the level of, say, the, the narrative that's out there? But I think that will be a very important political uh, discussion indeed. Of course, you're right that there hasn't been the kind of vocal and very visible support for the European Union stance on sanctions against Russia or also in the UN uh, when it comes to votes. But if I'm not mistaken, Ambassador, at the last session in New York at the General Assembly, there was a change in, in some member states of ASEAN's attitudes towards the UN resolution against Russia, which was about condemning the illegal, uh, illegal referenda that were held in four uh, territories. So I was wondering if that is something that illustrates a coming together of sorts of EU and ASEAN on this very important geopolitical issue. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was indeed one member state who changed uh, his vote. But I think it's all about the way that we, again, read the current situation, which shouldn't be about one block against another, but which should be about respect of territorial sovereignty and uh, international law. And everybody who knows this region here a little bit knows that territorial sovereignty is a very hot topic, not least in the South China Sea, but also several land borders even within ASEAN which are uh, which are still today contested so you, you know you can't just walk into another country uh, especially not if you're a nuclear power and say this is mine and I think there's just a basic understanding of the fact that that is to be condemned so I think that's basic starting point and I think it's something uh, to share let's let's focus on what we share and definitely that's one of them yeah, the commonality of the, of the concerns about violation of multilateral rules and internationally Absolutely. recognized borders. So that will be a very important theme at the summit. Now, let's talk a little bit about democracy and good governance as well. That's been quite high on the agenda of EU and ASEAN. There have been disagreements on the issue. But we know now also that we in Europe also have the same kind of problems with some of our member states. And of course, in ASEAN, there is the big issue of Myanmar. You're an EU envoy for Myanmar. So what are your main concerns and what are you hoping to achieve uh, in trying to resolve that very tense situation in Myanmar? Maybe from the outset, I should say that we have welcomed the stance that ASEAN has taken towards Myanmar. And I think everybody who knows ASEAN a little bit knows that it's not kind of self-evident that 
the organization expresses itself on the situation in one of its member states. It's very tricky. There's the principle of non uh, interference. But we've also seen in this crisis that there's other principles that ASEAN adheres to, which are enshrined in the ASEAN Charter and democracy, uh, human rights and the rule of law are, are one of them. And of course, that creates some tensions within the organizations. But I think by and large, we've seen ASEAN really stepping up the plate, uh, uh, first of all, by uh, defining a kind of common platform, a common vision, the five-point consensus, which is sometimes criticized, but I think criticized for the wrong reasons, because the, the five-point consensus has not been implemented for the simple reason that the junta has not been willing to implement it. So I think we need to, uh, as the ASEANs are currently doing, to uh, revisit the five-point consensus and see how it can be made much more actionable and maybe time-bound and enforceable because we have there a ruthless partner on the other side just uh, actually two days before the ASEAN special foreign ministers meeting in here in Jakarta, uh, the junta decided to bomb a concert in Chin, leading to over now 80 dead people and, and close to 200 people uh, wounded. How to interpret this uh, if you want uh, the Junta to play a constructive role in finding a way forward uh, and to cooperate with ASEAN in its mediation? So that's really my concern. That is not so much with the kind of framework, but the total lack of willingness on the part of the junta to make even the slightest gesture on the contrary to basically uh, try to provoke and insult and kill at the same time. So we will be looking forward to what ASEAN decides in November at their summit. They said they will uh, discuss the next steps. Of course, next year we have Indonesia's chairmanship, which will be very important. I hope that will give us a basis for, for further joined up work on this crisis. Right, and you're right to uh, insist on the fact that ASEAN is becoming more involved and that idea that you've stayed away from interfering in what was called your, your, mem you know, your members' affairs, that's changing because of the reality on the ground. And we're doing the same thing here in Europe, in a sense, and, and we're taking a few of our member states to court because they're not abiding sure. by democracy sure. and rule of law standards. Let's go back uh, to the issue of young people, uh, to the important question of young people, because you're right, you've uh, been quite instrumental in bringing this conversation to younger people. And I've had the privilege of taking part in some of these young leaders' discussions. Um, why did you decide to do that? And did you see a gap there? Were you getting a little bored with meeting people? Well, you're pretty young, Igor, but meeting people of a certain age and repeating the same conversations. Did you want to bring in new energy and uh, let's say new thoughts? Well, a little bit of all of that, uh, but maybe more fundamentally, I think for young people uh, today, uh, there's a certain feeling that uh, maybe in the big decisions of the day, they're not necessarily taken seriously. Think about some of the big decisions that were taken in European countries not so long ago. I also think about the COVID pandemic. Uh, which for many young people was absolutely horrible. And we've just had our human rights dialogue between the EU and ASEAN, and we discussed very much this issue of, of mental health for, for young people. So I think most of, a lot of the decisions in Europe are often taken on the basis that young people don't necessarily represent a big portion of the electorate. 
while in uh, ASEAN, they represent a, a bigger portion. I think one out of three persons in ASEAN is somewhere between 15 and 34 years old. But still, also here, you sometimes have the impression that they're marginal in the political debate. So we need to, to listen to those voices, uh, not just because, of course, the future will be theirs, but they might have ideas which we don't necessarily have. And I think you, you Shada, you've been engaging with them. I've been engaging with them. If you listen to them, you hear that energy and, and those ideas. So definitely we wanted to make sure that before we have our summit in December, that we give the chance to the young people to express themselves, come with recommendations that we engage with them and that we not just listen to them, but then also subsequently take account of what they say and decide on their own account. So these people-to-people conversations are very, very important. And, you know, one of the things the young leaders have said is they want to, in a sense, make that a permanent feature. So not to just have it as an ad hoc moment, but to have it institutionalized. Will they be able to actually uh, convey their message to the ASEAN-EU summit, do you think, in December? Well, I hope so. We're still figuring out the program, which is a full-time job in and by itself. Uh, But uh, we do hope that there can be a moment of of interaction of some kind. Right. And so moving forward, what do you see in these, you have to say, very difficult and tense geopolitical moments? I think it's important that this meeting is taking place. Um, What do you see going forward as some of the opportunities you have in sort of furthering, deepening, broadening this discussion? You've got the G20 meeting coming up very soon in Jakarta. Uh, Indonesia is also chair of ASEAN at the moment. Indonesia, of course, will be a big player next year, as you said, as well. And you're based in Jakarta. So I was just wondering, from that vision, from that sort of vantage point, where do you think this relationship can go in the coming months uh, while you are in Jakarta and working, you know, with with the Secretariat, and but also with the member states of ASEAN on a daily basis. Sure. Well, actually, just before the G20 summit in uh, Bali, President Michel will attend the East Asia summit in Cambodia as a guest. So I think that's, again, an important uh, gesture and an important uh, symbol of that growing partnership. He will travel then from Cambodia to Indonesia. So again, listen to the ASEANs and then bring that to the G20. And uh, clearly for us that the Indonesian chairmanship will be another big opportunity to solidify and take the relationship to the next phase because our summit in December is a commemorative summit. So it's partly about looking back over the last 45 years, but it's also about looking forward and trying to craft that partnership for the future. And of course, looking a little bit beyond the horizon of the next two, three, four months, there are uh, upcoming challenges which we need to tackle together, and many of them we've already mentioned. But me personally, I think the green partnership is probably the one that I I would feel is most important and relevant for for our citizens. We have a big debate in Europe about uh, the energy transition. We know that it's not easy to actually uh, stick to the Green Deal principles. We're trying very hard, but we know it's not easy. Here in Southeast Asia, there is equally a big challenge. And if there's no significant uh, decarbonization in Southeast Asia, the CO2 emissions will almost double by 2040 which would, of course, have a very bad impact on the, on the climate overall. Fossil fuels are growing in the energy mix in, in Southeast Asia. It's economically a booming region, but also 
uh, we need to see how we can make that growth sustainable and climate friendly. So there's, there's an awful lot to do uh, in that area. And I hope that can be done in the next couple of years over and beyond kind of the more institutional discussions that we need to have with us and about our role in things like the defense minister's meeting or indeed the East Asia summit. It's more about, I think, growing that substance further of our relationship. So the EU asking and wanting to be more engaged with ASEAN in different formats, the East Asia Summit, defense ministers' meetings, and being part of the conversation in the region on a, on a, on a range of issues. So that's the content. I'm also curious, Igor, about the tone, because when I started off writing about Europe-Asia relations, uh, the tone between the two sides was quite different. The EU was very much the, let's say, the, the, the privileged partner, the, the global north, you know, industrialized, richer. And of course, parts of Asia, including ASEAN, were still not at the stage of development that they are now. The tone was quite different from what it is now. Now, the focus is very much on talking to each other as equal partners and discussing common concerns and not taking lessons from one side but talking to each other and learning from each other. So tell me a little bit personally how you feel about this change, because you've been, in a sense, instrumental in bringing that changed conversation, that changed tone of diplomacy into, into this conversation with ASEAN. Well, yes, for sure. I mean, uh, first of all, it's also just a matter of basic human respect to talk to just about anybody uh, in a normal way. But I think in general, it's always quite humbling to come to Southeast Asia and to see, first of all, how booming it is economically. We've spoken about that. And if you look at the trajectory, we see here the fourth economic power in the world in just a, a couple of years from now, but also how, how ASEAN can instrumentalize its convening power to basically have a say in the global arena and to be even just more than just a middle power, uh, you mentioned at the very beginning. So I think that's in that sense, it should make us all uh, reflect and see what we can do together to preserve that multilateral system, that rule-based order, where we both have a common interest. So it's really looking at common interest over and beyond trying to engage in a mutual learning process on a wide variety of issues. But I, I think we still have a little way to go, if I may say, in the sense that I think the quality of a partnership, you won't necessarily only judge by the breadth of the cooperation, but by the way irritants are dealt with. And I think there we can still step up our game. I think I say that mutually because there will always be problems between the two regions. So I know there's some irritation here about some of our green proposals. There might also be some irritation on the European side about other things. Let's going forward have an open conversation about all of those and try to look for a mutual solution. That would be my wish for, for the next couple of years. And uh, definitely your wish also for the summit, so that the summit is a coming together of minds and Absolutely. being able to surmount some of these irritants, as you've talked about. Yeah. Final, final question, going forward, what's the one thing or maybe two things that you would really like to achieve in EU-ASEAN relations in the next, let's say, new frontier of diplomacy? Uh, <laughs> right. For me, well, there's one dimension, Shada, we haven't spoken about, and it's security. And of course, we spoke about green partnership, connectivity, trade, 
Those are built on a capital that we've built over decades. But security is at the end of the day what is equally important here in Southeast Asia or indeed in Europe. We spoke about that too. So how can we as two blocks come together to be better guarantors of the international law, also on the security field, but also also to try to step up our roles as security providers? It's, I know it's a, kind of a tall order, but uh, you asked me for the new frontier. So there we go. Right. Thank you very much indeed. So the new frontier is actually expanding, deepening our security conversation as well with the region in multilateral fora, but also in bilateral relations. Igor Driesmans, Ambassador, thank you very much for your frank and open discussions and good luck with the summit and preparations for it. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. See you very soon again.